and welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I am the Adult Ministry Coordinator for the Discipleship Ministry Team of the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I am late this week on our lectionary podcast because it's been a busy week and it's also a very hard week uh, for you preachers. I am uh, praying for you already. The texts are difficult. Before we dive into the text for this week, I wanted to let you all know about a resource that is being made available by the Discipleship Ministry Team. Each member of our Discipleship Ministry Team has created a resource for Lent to share with your church. Jody Rush, who does our children's ministry coordination, has done some lessons that are age-specific to children in the church. And Nathan Wheeler, who is our young adult and youth ministry coordinator, has created a lesson for that age group. Eleanor Swindle Brown has created a lesson or a devotion and a lesson uh, for people to do individually in the church. And I've created a a lesson for the adult classes in your church. So if you're looking for a Lenten study this year, it's based out of the book of Mark. Again, we're calling it the We Source because You'll have everything you need to teach every single age group in your source. It's a source for everyone in your church. That's going to be made available uh, on the the Ministry Council website at cpcmc.org forward slash we source, W-E-S-O-U-R-C-E. And that'll be up and running here very soon. Uh, On Thursday... I'm going to do a podcast that is an introduction to the season of Lent for those churches who may not know too much about it, or it can be used with this resource to be able uh, to explain to your congregation uh, why we as a church celebrate or observe this season of Lent. So, with that done, we'll turn our attention to the text for this week. Again, that's going to be for March 3rd, and it's Transfiguration Sunday. The text are Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, Psalm 99, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2, and then our gospel passage is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Uh, This is a hard, these are all hard passages, to be honest with you, Uh, but I'm trying to help. From what I can tell, there are a couple things that tie the scriptures together. First is that Moses appears in all the text. Uh, You have one where Moses himself, with a shining face, in the Exodus passage. In the Psalms, he's mentioned as one whom God spoke. And then in the Corinthians passage, Moses is spoken of as one who had spoken with God, but that the Jews never understood completely. And in the Gospel passage, Moses is present at the Transfiguration. In the second uh, theme or a second item that ties all the scriptures together is that we found out God is full of glory. And through my work this week, I would say that glory could be described or defined as the combination of the power, majesty, and holiness of God. It's all three of those wrapped in together. Each of the texts present God in this glorious, majestic, powerful, and holy vision. And ultimately, what happens is that we humans have a derivative glory which originates in God in God's self. And it's that vision of the glory of God which compels us to seek God in deeper and more meaningful ways. So first I want to look at this passage from Exodus. And this this little gem is the reason why I'm late putting up this podcast because this is a super tough passage. 
and I'm going to keep it somewhat simple here, but encourage you to study much more in depth because I don't think I have a completely good grasp on the passage. So it's Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. And it's when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with his tablets, the remade part due tablets, and his face is shining and the people are scared to death. Um, And so he invites the people closer. They come to him. And he keeps this glow in his face, in his skin, uh, as long as he goes back to God and they have that intimate um, conversation. His face glows again and he goes out to see the people. Anyway, this passage is extremely difficult for various and sundry reasons. And so I'm just going to give you some ways to preach it and and some more things to study to prepare uh, for your message. So if you preach this passage on Sunday... Be sure to send me a copy or an outline because I'd like to learn a little bit more how people would preach it. And my email address is cfleming at cumberland.org. That's C-F-L-E-M-I-N-G at cumberland.org. Uh, and let me know uh, if this has been helpful to you. But also, if you do preach it, send me an outline because I'm genuinely curious of how you would tackle the passage this week. I don't think you can really preach this passage without noting the context of it, God had given the Ten Commandments to Moses, but because Moses took so long to come back to the people, uh, the Israelites kind of lost faith, and they began making a golden calf, and they turned to all sorts of debauchery. And God's anger burned, and Moses began to preach repentance to the people, and and after all this said and done, uh, there was a duplicate set of the law brought to the people. But there's some interesting stuff that happens. Um, starts in, I think, chapter, really kind of chapter 28, if you want to go back and read that through. Uh, but the conversations between God and Moses are absolutely fascinating. And so if you want to go back and, and read that, that would help your preaching this week. Those times where Moses and God had their their intimate conversations was when Moses' face became bright, glowing, it says, so much so that the people were afraid of him. Here are some textual points that you as a minister or Christian educator uh, could study this week uh, for yourself to prepare yourself for the service that you're offering to God and God's people. You are truly a representative of God to the people, and you're also a representative of the people to God. And this is what we read in this story in Moses. I fully appreciate the Protestant understanding of every member being a minister, and so these points could uh, work well with your congregation. If everyone took serious that they were a minister in this world, then what I'm about to share with you is for them as well. But I also think that the office of preaching and teaching and being an elder comes with a special place and responsibility. People laid hands on us and prayed a prayer of ordination for us is because we've been set apart to a specific office, and that is to be the representative of God to the people, and we are the people's representative to God oftentimes. But first in this passage, Moses gives us an example of the importance of ministry being grounded in a relationship to both God and God's people. So the story of Moses is oftentimes turned into a lesson of leadership, how to lead people or how to, how to preach or teach or do whatever, Um, But really, it's a lesson of someone who has given their life over to love of people and to love God and to serve both. 
He was the embodiment of the greatest commandment of Christ, to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Second, Moses went to God for God's words for the people. Right? So, I've been a preacher for a long time now, and I know how the weeks get sometimes. It, it happened to me this week, which is why I'm behind and not putting this podcast out until late Tuesday night. You get behind, and then you start running to commentaries. And those commentary studies take up more time than your time when you are meditating on God's Word or praying to God or studying God's Word. And we desperately seek if there's two or three points in a, in a text that we can preach. Once we ascertain quickly those two or three points, we then pour over uh, sermon illustrations from the Internet or books that we've had, maybe even call up a friend and ask for help. We finally got two or three. We got two or three points. We got two or three sermon illustrations. And then, bam, God is merciful. Salvation has come. And we have us a sermon. Uh, It's very easy to get into that habit. But you have to remember, our call to ministry is not primarily a call about performance or giving a polished sermon or even about fundraising. But our calling to ministry is about receiving from God and giving to the people. It's about being with the people to know them, and to bring them and their concerns to God so that in a relationship the people can be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so third, ministry isn't about recognition. All right, It's not about our self-awareness or our self-importance. I don't know how to say this exactly. There's a verse in the text, uh, the Old Testament text in Exodus, that points out that Moses didn't even, Moses didn't know that the skin of his face was shining because he had been talking with God. There was a sense of abandonment on Moses' part because he was in such a communion with God, he wasn't aware that his own body was shining. I think that's excellent stuff, because I believe everyone suffers from a little sense of pride. We think, is my sermon good enough? Was my lesson good enough? Do the people like me? Am I reaching them? Am I being good enough for this church? And so on. And it creates an apprehension and tension in us because of our carnality and our self-awareness that oftentimes trumps our sense of being a servant to God alone. It's not only about uh, ministers and teachers, but I think this is something that worshipers could learn as well. When I first became a Christian, I was very young, and I would never sing in worship because I had this sense that everyone was looking at me or judging me if I sing off-key, or maybe I was singing too loud, or maybe they think I'm weird. And I remember studying the passage of Scripture from Second Samuel, where David is going before the ark, and he's so overcome with joy and gladness and a sense of worship that he dances, and in the middle of his dancing, he's wearing an ephod, linen ephod, whatever, and and he exposes himself on accident to some servant girls. But he didn't realize it. He had no self-awareness because he was caught up in a vision and glory and joy of being in the presence of God. And you remember how the story goes. His wife says, look at you acting a fool in front of these servants. Uh, how could you be so common? And I, and I remember the verse David tells her, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you've spoken, by them I shall be held in high honor. I realized, ten years into preaching, that I became a pretty good preacher when I didn't worry about whether I was a good preacher or not. 
When done well, we preachers and we worshipers shine with a glow that we don't even know about because it's derivative from the glory of God. And so the fourth point here would be don't put yourself on a pedestal. The text says that the Israelites were afraid to come near Moses because Moses was shining. They didn't know what to do. But instead of keeping that barrier there, Moses called to them. He called to Aaron and the Levites and then to all the people. And the text says, then they came near. If we think about Christ, he came down and opened himself up to vulnerability. He became accessible for us uh, to be able to know him. And we as ministers and Christian educators and elders and so on must also put forth the effort of breaking down the dividing walls. That leads us to the psalm. It's Psalm 99. Uh, This psalm is a testimony of God's glory uh, in his holiness, his majesty, and power. In this psalm, if I was preaching it, I would bring out the nature of God and cast a vision to your people that your people will want to appropriate in their own life and strive for in their own spiritual journey. So in this psalm, we find that first, God is the king of the universe, right? No earthly, political, or ideological power can thwart God. God sits enthroned on the earth. No matter who is in charge on this earth, God is in charge everywhere. And I do believe this is reason for praise. God is in control, and you can take that theme wherever you want to take it. Second theme is that God is for justice. Now, you can talk about the tension that we face in our day uh, with the tension between truth and justice because there is a tension, and to, and to act like there's not, uh, we're ignoring, uh, even in the news this week, the Methodist Church is debating on certain social issues, and it's cast in uh, terms of justice. And if you don't agree with this, then you hate this, or you hate this select few people. Or the other side says, no, we love these people and we want to see them uh, become all that God has planned for them. And in order to show that love, we have to uphold God's truth. So where is this? How do we do justice and holiness and love and grace? Uh, But God is certainly for justice. You might want to explore how God brings about justice for those marginalized in society in both the Old and New Testament. Because God does work on behalf of those who are in need. In fact, if you're feeling real froggy, you might want to take this time to educate your congregation on a God-honoring definition of justice. But seeing justice realized is a reason for praise and worship in the church. Third, that God is attentive to the needs of God's people. Right, And so the psalm lists up Moses and Aaron as examples. These priests pleaded to God on behalf of the people. And both of these priests experience the grace of this loving God as well at, at points in their life. And so maybe you lift up the grace of God. For The grace of God is a great reason to praise. You can do contemporary examples, biblical examples, examples from your own life, whatever you want to do. But God's grace is a reason to bring forth praise. So that's the psalm. Our Corinthians passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. So we're back to the shining face of Moses again in the veil. It's a little easier here because Paul grounds um, Moses' shining face in the commentary about the Old and New Covenant. Ultimately, Paul is saying that the New Covenant is greater than the Old because the New Covenant's glory will never fade, right? It's never going to be replaced or, or strengthened by another covenant. 
because this new covet is greater in this way, it enables us to be bold in spite of our obvious weaknesses. Paul seems to interpret the veil of Moses in reverse than you would commonly hear it. By that I mean, while Moses had his time with God, his face shone bright, but when he left God's presence, the brightness dimmed, and he put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing that light dim. It's one interpretation. They were prevented from seeing the end of the glory, is what Paul says, the end of the glory that had been set aside. Then Paul goes on to say that the veil is still intact because of the hardness of their heart. They still can't see the glory of God because they have not accepted God's Son, Jesus Christ. So this veil still acts over their mind in regards to, in regards to God's glory. The answer to this blindness and this hardness of heart is the Holy Spirit, Paul says. The Holy Spirit gives life and freedom from blindness. Paul then speaks about the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, and I think this is an amazing thought. When we realize that the Spirit of God dwells in our lives and in our hearts, we begin to understand how then that glory or that light shines in us. Again, it's a derivative glory, and the Holy Spirit produces that glory within us. It's the glory of God. So if there's ever a time to have your congregation sing this little light of mine, it is today. For we are being transformed into the image of Christ with that derivative glow that flows from God through us. And Jesus says you don't light lamps and put them under a table, but instead you put it on the table so it gives light to everyone. And so Paul ends this section of scripture by saying, We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And so we do not veil our faces like Moses, but instead we allow the light to shine through us. That's the point, I think, of the epistle passage, is that we let our light shine, and that light is, again, derivative from God, God's glory. And that leads us then to the transfiguration. Uh, this is an easy one, right? So I'm telling you, this Sunday is a hard Sunday, so God bless all of you who are preaching and teaching this week. From reading the first verse, we should comment that very often Jesus does incredible things in small groups of people, right? And I think that's important for us. Jesus took a select few with him, and it was during that time of prayer that God chose to reveal great things to the disciples. Uh, it is good to be in worship with as many people as possible. God reveals himself in a certain way, but there's also something that happens in your prayer closet. There's something that happens when you develop a, an intentional, personal relationship with God, when God reveals greater things to you. He speaks to you directly. So while they're up there on the mountain, Jesus takes them to the mountain. Jesus begins to shine as he's praying. As you prepare uh, this week, allow your imagination to work. Reread this a couple times. Imagine the scene. Think on it for a while before you begin typing and you start being like Peter and want to interpret this experience. Allow yourself to have an experience first. While Jesus was praying and, and beginning to shine, Moses and Elijah joins the divine conversation with Jesus and the disciples were just awake enough to see it. All right? So the symbology here is that Jesus Christ is greater than both the law that was given through Moses Jesus Christ is also greater than even the greatest prophet. Um, God said, this is my beloved son, my chosen. Listen to him. And so uh, he takes prominence over the law. He takes prominence over the prophets because he fulfills both. 
So another observation from this text is Peter. Again, I've already alluded to it uh, very briefly. Peter tries to control the experience. He tries to interpret it very quickly. He said, let's set up booths for everybody. Because Peter's always trying to control the message. But God reminds people to listen. Don't speak. Don't take control. Listen and first receive the vision. Experience it. And I think that's a call to us as ministers too. We so quickly try to shortcut the experiences which God uh, is is giving us the visions that God may be giving us because we just have this incessant need to be in control of things and to interpret things. But I would challenge you to, to expand your quiet time as you uh, go through this transfiguration passage. Read it. Let it seek in. Don't try to infer anything from it, but just be with it for just a little while. Don't take control. Just receive a vision. And then also in that statement, Peter wanted to make some tents. Well, number one, they were tired. But number two, when are you going to see something like this again? And so let's stay on the mountaintop, Jesus. Let's do this. Let's let's experience this the, 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 as much as we possibly can. The problem is our faith is not meant to stay on the mountaintop. Like Jesus descended into the depths of the world, we too must descend from the mountaintop uh, into the into the places of ministry. But here's the thing, we don't descend until we have that vision. That vision gives us fuel. Sometimes it would be in your prayer closet which God reveals to you a deep meaning or, or, or you feel like you've received a fresh vision of who God is. Sometimes it's in corporate worship where everyone was singing and that you felt the Spirit of God move and you take that from, from church on Sunday into work on Monday. But it's that vision that we receive that when we leave the church or we, we leave the place of that vision, we simply will not be able to accept the sin and the evil conditions of this world. When we come down from the mountain, we'll be so disappointed. We'll be like Jesus that laments over Jerusalem and say, it doesn't have to be like this. And so my prayer for you today is to cast that vision to your people so that when your people leave on Sunday, they are discomforted and they're, they're uncomfortable in this world and they'll want to seek to be part of the tools of transformation in this world. Let's pray about this today. Uh, gracious Lord, thank you for the opportunities which we all have to be your servant. I pray that we can be like Moses, that we can receive a vision of you so much so that we glow, but we're not self-aware of it, but that you're working through us. Help us to be accessible and approachable to your people this week. Help us to live among your people to care and love for them so that when we come to you praying on behalf of, of, of the people you've put in our care, that we deeply feel their needs so that we can, we can give them to you and that you can do miraculous things in our sight to cause praise to come from our lips. Love you, and it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.